I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, January 18th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Brett, did you shovel on Monday? Well, no, Jay, because I live in a condo, but I did see that there was a lot of snow, and I haven't even stepped outside yet, and so I told you that I thought there was 10 to 15 centimeters of snow, and you said that that is incorrect. That is incorrect. Maybe if you're talking inches, that might be close, but there is a lot of snow outside. We're recording this on Monday and a ton of snow fell in front of my house. I want to say between like 35 and 50 centimeters. You know, this is like a classic stereotype of Torontonians complaining about snow in January when it's expected to snow and snows in much of the country. But no, it's a big deal. Like it, it really does shut down the city. I don't like I look outside and there's not many people out there and I hear about all these transit issues and traffic jams. It's not good. Well, the DVP and the gardener closed down, but I think more importantly for my personal life is that schools were closed for hopefully one extra day. So we had the the two-week Omicron shutdown and then the one-day Snowmicron shutdown. So it's really been uh, an extra day we didn't really want, but probably needed. But I want to get your predictions on the schools. So they're they're supposed to start tomorrow. How long do you think they'll go for until they have to shut down again? Like till the next snowstorm or do we actually have to leave school? I don't know. It's like there's, you know, there's concerns about the staffing shortages and then there's still the Omicron and the lockdown. So it's, it's still up in the air. I hope for you, Jay, that they open up tomorrow and they never shut down again. And we just have smooth sailing from here on out. I like the sound of that. Aside from snow and Omicron and schools opening up, what do we have for Peak Pals today? It's like a full episode. For our first story, no more testing. For our second story, wasting our way. And for our third story, striped Ford. For our first story, Canada's busiest airport and airlines are calling on the federal government to drop the requirement for an arrival test for vaccinated air travelers. So, Brett, I just experienced this when we were coming back from vacation. But for the peak pals that were taking a staycation, what's the Fed's policy on testing for travelers? Yeah. So to give you a refresher, there are two main components of COVID-19 testing for travelers entering Canada. I've done this a few times. So Canada requires that all air travelers entering the country present proof of vaccination and a negative COVID-19 test taken 72 hours within their scheduled flight. Last November, the feds updated testing requirements to control the spread of Omicron. And on top of the pre-arrival test, Canada now requires that all air travelers from countries outside the U.S. test for COVID-19 upon arrival to the airport. And so that means you go to the airport, and they get the swab up your nose and they tell you if you're positive or negative. And air travels coming from the U.S., they just have to get tested on a random basis. As you can imagine, and as you've seen, this is a bit of a headache for Canada's airlines and airports, which is why Air Canada, WestJet and Toronto Pearson Airport issued a joint letter yesterday to the federal and Ontario governments asking them to drop the on-arrival testing requirement. In it, the chief medical officers for the airlines and airports state that requirement is slowing down lab processing capacity and diverting tests away from people with more need, such as immunocompromised individuals and long-term care residents. And to justify all of this, they actually use some interesting numbers. So according to the Public Health Agency of Canada, the national average positivity rate for COVID-19 tests, so these are all the tests being done in Canada right now, the average positive rate is 28%, while it's only 2% for fully vaccinated travels arriving in Canada. And this led even Canada's chief public health officer, Dr. Teresa Tam, to question the value of on-arrival testing. So, Jay, why does this matter for the average work and peak pal like you and me? Well, not only does the testing impose a huge cost, upwards of like 150 bucks a person to travel, but Canadian travel industry representatives are also concerned that our testing requirements are deterring tourists and in turn hurting our travel industry, even in the midst of a Toronto blizzard. 
It's also not fair, Jay, because if you have tested positive for COVID within 180 days, you don't have to get the test. So it's discriminatory to people like you and I that have dodged the virus. For our second story, major brands such as Coca-Cola and Walmart signed a joint statement that calls for the formation of a global pact to cut down plastic waste. Jay, what did the brands agree to? Brett, the letter comes ahead of the UN Environment Assembly, where national governments will discuss the plastic pollution crisis. The statement calls for the creation of a legally binding UN treaty that sets a clear direction for governments to move forward to control plastic pollution. What's still unclear is whether the pact will focus on recycling or directly curbing plastic production. Now, in terms of why they're doing this, there's two real reasons. So the first one is that plastic production and waste is a big problem. So a 2018 survey found most of our plastic waste that pollutes the environment comes from three companies, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Nestle, which is why they're signing on. And plastic production is projected to double in the next 20 years. So there's really an urgent need to reduce that waste. The other reason is because corporate social responsibility, CSR, is all the rage right now with customers even choosing brands or preferring brands that stand for something more than just making a quick buck, which is why major brands like Danone and L'Oreal are looking for ways to cut down on plastic waste. And one example of this is how L'Oreal and Danone are working with Canadian-based recycling startup Loop Industries, which raised $285 million yesterday to help fund a recycled plastic factory in France. So I guess the important question, Jay, that I'd love to get your thoughts on is, will any of this actually matter? Well, let's hope so. We'll have to see what the details of the agreement are. A 2020 study by Pew Charitable Trusts found plastic recycling efforts alone won't prevent plastic pollution from becoming an even bigger problem, and that cutting production will also be key to reducing plastic waste in our environment. For our last story, Stripe is helping Ford scale its e-commerce strategy, signing a five-year deal to strengthen the carmaker's online payment process. Brett, I already buy everything online, so why is it so important that a car manufacturer is partnering with Stripe? It's probably worth taking a look at how customers buy a car because it's a really big purchase. And so right now, you're probably familiar with this if you've gone through this process, but you go to a dealership and you find a car you like and you pick out a model and then they bring you into a room to talk about financing and the price and if you want floor mats and tinting and all the, all the extras. But the pandemic exposed some of the flaws of this model, which was that nobody was going in person to buy stuff. And so as COVID-related orders slowed down sales at dealerships, it pushed car makers to rethink their online sales strategy. Tesla has been the leader in this. They've removed the dealer from the process entirely uh, and they focused on selling their vehicles online. The manufacturer even accepts Dogecoin. Now, starting in the second half of 2022, Ford will use Stripe to facilitate payments for individual and commercial customers in North America and Europe. Stripe's deploying some of their latest tech to fit into the manufacturer's unique purchasing flow. I can't wait for Ford to accept Dogecoin. But through the Stripe Connect, customers can place an order with a car with a small deposit online and then connect to a local Ford or Lincoln dealership to finish the purchase. Dealers depend on Ford setting the business, so this is an important step to not alienate their reseller network. And lastly, Stripe will also offer bundled financing options for Ford's commercial customers. Brett, Stripe and Ford, who would have thought that's sort of the, the new and the old coming together on this? Why is it so important for the world's fourth biggest auto manufacturer? Well, it's been a matter of time before you start buying your car online. You buy everything else online, like Jay said. And so Ford released a more robust e-commerce solution in China that helped the car maker weather COVID-related shutdowns in that country. And now the Detroit automaker sees a broader e-commerce strategy as its next step in growing sales in Europe and North America. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. 
If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. As always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, if you need a little bit of practice shoveling, you're welcome here anytime. <laughs>